Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 John chapter 1, 5 to um, chapter 2, verse 17. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we have made him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is always shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account on his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're a God who loves us and a God who speaks to us. And we know uh, that, that we have your word. What a privilege that is, Lord, that you've um, blessed us with it. And we pray this morning as we hear from 1 John, Lord, you'll remind us what it means to live in the light, to be Christians who follow Jesus and, and what that looks like in, in practical terms. Help us, Lord, uh, by your spirit to convict our hearts to, to consider how we can live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a show that's been on TV in the past. It's called Undercover Boss. I, I don't like reality TV shows. I'll be honest with you. I think they're lame and I think they're always staged. But this one, oh, this one always pulled out my heartstrings. I don't know why. There's something about it. It's not on TV anymore. It, it went for about 10 years in the US, 10 seasons over 10 years. Uh, but this is one of those you know, classics, really heartfelt, emotional. If you don't know what the show is about, it's about a boss of a company who goes undercover. They, they get disguised, you know, so that's why there's you know, a disguise. And they get disguised uh, and they go into, uh, uh, they get a job as a junior entry level staff member and they want to go in to see how the company is functioning at ground level and usually they're low-level managers or supervisors they're doing their jobs and they have to uh, train these undercover bosses to do their jobs and you want to see if they're following procedures following proper training all that sort of stuff now these managers don't really know that who this person is uh, and generally the undercover boss doesn't actually know how to do the job either so they look really incompetent and you're, you're waiting to see if those managers will lose their temper or cut corners or whatever it is and so for example one of the episodes I think I remember it being Subway the CEO of Subway or, or, or CFO gets a job as a sandwich maker and so he's an entry level he's trying to build a sandwich and he doesn't know what he's doing and the manager's getting really frustrated it's like you know gossiping about him behind his back but also being really patient with him and trying to teach him even though there's all these customers in the shop and all that stuff right the CEO bot the, the undercover boss is sweating and and you know there's these cutscenes where they're giving commentary yeah I didn't realize how hard it was to make a sandwich you know that sort of stuff and now the show usually finishes, right, with the undercover boss revealing their identity. They take off their mustache, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm the CEO, you know, that sort of thing. And, and there's this, you know, there's this, there's this moment where they go into the head office and, and their integrity gets rewarded. You know, the low-level managers, they get rewarded, the paid-for holiday, bonuses, college tuition paid for, loans paid off, because the CEO, the undercover boss, was so impressed by their hard work ethic. There is something about integrity and being consistent with our ethics that is really admirable and inspiring. I, I, I get emotional watching these because I'm like, oh, that's so, that's so nice. You know, that these people really do try hard in their jobs. They don't take their jobs for granted. I mean, I think that's why the show lasted 10 seasons over 10 years. These sort of these managers aren't taking, uh, aren't taking anything. They, they, see, they see their jobs as a privilege to, to work hard and their work ethic reveals that their convictions, it reveals their convictions, their consistency in what they value and their integrity in their character. Now that is generally true in how we feel when it comes to how we see people live their lives, isn't it? Uh, we want people to act with integrity, don't we? To practice what they preach, to live by their convictions, be consistent in how they live. We, we see that in life, don't we? Uh, the person who's convicted about climate change or the environment, you'd hope they'd be making lifestyle changes that would reduce waste and reduce emissions. They'd be making active steps to live a life that was environmentally friendly. You'd want that. You'd expect that if they're, if they're talking about it and, and, and being activists about it. Uh, the, the, the person who stands up for animal rights and, and shares about the vegan lifestyle. If you saw them at KFC in the drive-thru with a bucket of fried chicken in their hand, it wouldn't look good, would it? But... When we know that they're making every effort, though, to, to stand by their convictions, even if we don't agree, it's admirable. It says something about them, their integrity, and their convictions. 
Now, I say all this because I wonder, what does your life look like? How you live, how you behave in public and in private, what does it reveal about your convictions? If you're a Christian here at church, which many of us are here, would your friends be surprised that you're a Christian? Or would they expect it from the way you live, from the way you behave? It's often true, isn't it? What we believe in will shape how we behave. Does your life reveal that you believe in Jesus? And is it revealed in the way you live, that you believe in God? John writes this letter for us to give us some assurance for us who believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And at the end of this letter, I've I've got this on the screen for you. I want to give you a bit of a context. At the end of the letter, chapter 5, he writes this. I write these things to you. I write this letter to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know that you have eternal life? It's it's some of these teachings that John is writing here for us to be reminded of, to, to point us back to, to what it looks like to live the Christian life in light of the God we believe in, the God we worship, and the eternal life that he secured for us that we look forward to. So here in this section that, that Sam read for us in our Bible reading today, 1 John uh, 1, 5 to 2, 17, we're going to get an understanding that if we are Christians who know God, who have fellowship with Him, who are united with Him, then our lives, how we behave, act, and live will reflect that knowledge of Him. Right, so keep your Bibles open in this passage because we're going to um, be unpacking it. I'll, I'll have some um, verses on the screen as we go too. But from verse 5, John declares this simple truth. God is light. All right, so I've got on the screen one John, I think it's the next slide, one John 5. Let's read it together. There is, this, is the imi- this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now you've got this light and dark theme. Right, and, and this isn't foreign to us in uh, everywhere around us. Pop culture, for example, where where, where light represents good and dark represents evil. You know, evil lurks in the dark. Vampires they operate on the cover of night. Werewolves they come out with full moons at night time in the dark. Watch any horror movie, right? And the scariest parts are when it's dark. And so the uh, and so the Bible uses this idea of light and darkness in the sense of holiness and evil. And I mean, it's really evident, isn't it, in our world today? We can see it. Thieves operate at night. People do shady things under the cover of darkness. So when John talks about God being light, he's talking about God's goodness and purity and holiness, the holiness of God. There is no darkness in him. There is no evil in him. There are no flaws in him. He's morally perfect. He is light. But also think about what light does. It uncovers and exposes the darkness. Uh, we, can, we walk into a room and we can feel around in the dark and wait for our eyes to adjust, but when it's simply pitch black, you simply, we just can't see, can we? Now, I'm at this stage of life where I've got sensor lights around my house now because I hate getting up in the middle of the night and stubbing my toe when I want to get a cup of water or go to the toilet. I'm sure that, come on, a stub toe is every person's experience in life, right? We all know what that feels like, just walking around in the dark, trying to uh, find our way, feel our way around. We need light to uncover the darkness. Now, if we have the light of God in our lives, will we continue to go on living as if we're still in the dark? When God's light actually dissects our heart, it reveals sin in our lives, the darkness in our hearts. Sin. Verse 6, if we're claiming to know God, yet still walk in darkness... We're just lying to ourselves. Do we really know who God is? 
Just like John was speaking against the false teachers of his day, that's what we talked about last week in the first few verses, John is confronting us today to consider, are we truly seeking to live for God? Or really, are we just all talk? Do we just pay lip service to God and say all the right things? We believe in God. God is good. God is our, you know, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But our hearts, our lives, continue to live in and pursue sin. We, we, do, we, do we just talk the talk, but... What's the phrase? Will we walk the talk? That sounds wrong. We'll talk the talk. Will we walk the, walk the walk? Even though it's a talk that we want to walk. Right? Will we practice what we preach? Isn't that, the, isn't that the worst thing anyone can say to a Christian? Practice what you preach, buddy. You say you believe in God, but your life doesn't reflect what you preach about God. Christians are meant to reflect the God who is light, but instead blend in often with the darkness of the world around us. You know, there's a really famous quote by that spiritual guru, Gandhi, right? He says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He's often not wrong with that, is he? Too often we see people who say they believe in God, but don't act like they believe in God. See, if we truly believe God to be light and to know God and to be in fellowship with God, our lives should look different to what it was before. It's a life that seeks holiness, is on a pathway towards goodness, reflecting God and His image. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, I've got this on the screen, Ephesians 5, he talks about this idea of living in the light as well. So a different author of the Bible is, is using the same theme of light. It's Ephesians 5, verse 8. Got it on the screen. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Yet while that is what we're striving for, and the reality is, is many Christians in the world, like, like many of us here today, are often still stubbing, you know, stubbing our toes in the dark. I... I, I this, this is really hard to do, isn't it? I, I personally so, so want my life to reflect the light of God. So, so much that I want to be like a, a neon sign. You know, I want to be a neon sign emanating God to the people around me. I don't know if that's ever something you ever think about. I wish I could reflect God to the world around me. Yet that isn't my daily experience, is it? I try, but so often I want to walk in the light, yet I stumble in the darkness still. I want to walk with God, but sometimes sin tempts me and leads me astray. I hate it. But being human means we have to admit and acknowledge that we aren't perfect. We will still struggle with sin. We have flaws. See, John does this thing where he says, live in the light, yet I know you're going to stuff up as well. So verse 8, he, he writes this, verse uh, 1 John 8, 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a lie and his word is not in us. Yes, live in the light, don't live in the darkness, but also know we, we're going to stuff up at times. We are going to have sin in our lives. If you ever meet a Christian who says, I don't sin, <laughs> I don't have sin in my, I'm sinless. Well, red flag that. Point them, point them here to 1 John 1, 8. You know, and, and we're lying to ourselves. And even worse, we're making God out to be a liar. Because God has stated in the scriptures that we fall short of his glory. That our humanity is stained by sin. When we put ourselves up in comparison to God, we're nowhere close, are we? To his perfect holiness, to his light. We will pale in comparison to his goodness. We all have to admit that. If we think we're sinless, there is no need for a savior. There is no need for Jesus to die a humiliating death on the cross for us. Yet the truth is we do have sin that we have to admit and bring before Jesus. 
We have all at times lived in a way that rejected God. John knows that. So he writes to draw us back. While he says this is true, he also says uh, in the next screen, on the next slide I have, in verse 7, 9 and 2, 2, he says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Down to 2, 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous one he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins not not only for our sins but also for the sins of the whole world see only because of the sacrificial death of jesus is god able and willing to forgive us of our sins that means we can be honest with our sin we can know that we have sin that we struggle with it and he's also this idea where we can confess it before god and know there's forgiveness in jesus in his love he sacrificially died in our place I mean, that is the beauty and grace of the gospel, isn't it? That we have this advocate in Jesus. For the Christian, God is very aware that you will stuff up at times. Bring it to the light. It's okay to admit your sin. We can be vulnerable without feeling the, that, that, feeling that ugly gremlin of shame. I, you know, that, that feeling where I can't talk about this because I'm so scared people are going to judge me. Let's be honest. We all have sin in our lives. We don't need to hide it. We don't need to deny it. We don't need to do that because when we do that, we're pretending we're, we're Jesus and we're not. We're pretending that we're sinless. Keep running back to Jesus, our advocate, the righteous one. And if you're here today and you feel like you've drifted far from God, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here listening to this because you can come to God with your sin and know that Jesus, the perfect one, offers us mercy and forgiveness. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're here thinking about what it means to be a Christian, I'm glad you're here because I want you to hear about Jesus, the one who offers us mercy and forgiveness. He knows your heart. He knows the sin in your life, the times where you've rejected God, the times where you've lived selfishly and proudly and all that sort of stuff without giving God an inch of thanks in your life. And He still chose to love you. And He still chose to die on your behalf for your sin, just like He did for me. That's what the grace of Christ means. Nothing we deserve, but by faith we receive it. Walking in the light then means knowing we aren't perfect. We aren't sinless, but what we do, uh, but, but that we do acknowledge our sin, that we'll hate our sin and we'll struggle and fight sin, but that we can recognize it, be honest and confess it to God. Regularly bring it before the throne of God, through the throne of grace for forgiveness and repentance. Only then will we truly expose the darkness and walk in the light. Now, that's just my first point, okay? Walk in the light of God, who is light. But secondly, when we know this God, will we seek to obey Him as well? Because when we truly know the God who is light, it's evidence, isn't it? By our heartfelt obedience to Him, our desire for that. It's not just knowledge about God. This is knowing God personally, relationally. If we truly know God, we will keep His commands as, as Jesus did, and live like Jesus did. So from verse 3, John writes, chapter 2, verse 3, desire to obey God. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if, anybody, uh, if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Can it be any clearer? How often do we as Christians, we, we hear these words, obey God, 
and we just sort of reel a bit in defense or we make excuses for, for disobeying his commands. We try to find loopholes. We try to excuse and justify our sin. It's so tricky, isn't it? You know, because if we're not killing sin, then sin is going to be killing us. One of the Puritans, John Owen, said that. Uh, even though our heads can process this simple and logical truth, obey God, our hearts and our feelings and our emotions pull us in this other direction. Isn't that, isn't that true in all of life? You know, it's, it's like when you know you need to exercise and diet and, and eat healthy, but then you see that tub of ice cream or you see that packet of Costco-sized ba- bag of chips and you just can't stop yourself. In your head, you know this isn't going to be good for you, but you eat it all in one sitting. Your head knows it, but your heart says, YOLO. Do people still say that? YOLO. You only live once. Enjoy. We might say we really love God and we give that lip service to Him, but our hearts are so easily tempted and deceived, aren't they? And perhaps in those moments when we sin and disobey God, we have to be honest. We're not really loving God when we disobey Him, are we? Verse 5, if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Do we truly love God? Are we seeking to obey Him? I remember years ago, uh, when I first became a Christian, I was so confronted with this idea of obedience. You know, I would try to justify my sin all the time. But if I know the joy and love of God, truly know it and believe it, do I want to obey Him? Do you want to obey God? Do I want to give over every area of my life to Him in surrender to Him? From my career, to my relationships, to my money, to my time? Back then, the illustration that was given to me, uh, you might have heard this before. It's like if you see your life like a house with many rooms, all the doors to the rooms, are they all open to having God come into those rooms and to transform them, to let Him rule over them? Or have you locked up certain rooms, not wanting God to have access to them? Yes, God, I'll give you my Sunday mornings, but the the rest of my week, that's for me to live as I choose. Yes, I'll join in on church community, but when it comes to finding a a relationship or a spouse, I'm going to choose whoever makes me happy, not let God into that room. And sure, I'll serve a little bit at church, but as long as it doesn't impede on my ambitions or goals in life, sure, I'll serve a little bit. Our, Our life is like a house, and we say Jesus is Lord over my life, but it doesn't apply to the rooms we've locked up that we don't give Him access to. What does obeying God What does obeying God's commands mean for you? Is it just whatever we pick and choose? Or is He truly Lord over our lives? Do you truly love God that you're willing to submit it all to Him? It's confronting, isn't it? If someone's life is not generally oriented toward obedience to God's command, can we really say that that person knows God? I, I feel uneasy just talking about this. Because John puts it very bluntly here, I feel. And I know we, can, we get defensive. How can you say I'm not a Christian? I believe in God. That makes me a Christian because I say so. And in this postmodern world we live in, that means my truth is my truth. You can't say that I'm wrong. We hear this. I hear this. But if we truly believe in God, are you going to listen to Him? I don't want to sound blunt, but talk is cheap. The Bible is quite clear here. When we believe truly in God and know Him, we will desire to love Him and to live for Him. There should be evidences of that. Spiritual fruit, transformation and obedience, a desire to obey. If, you read, if, you, if you're still following along in your Bibles, verse 7, John says this thing where it says, it's not a new command, it's an old one. But then he sort of flips the script in verse 8, he says, yet I am writing you a new command. 
And so that sounds like immediately contradictory, but he goes on after this to talk about loving one another. The call to obey God is an old command, yes, but Jesus said it himself, this is a new command I teach you. So in John 13, so in the Gospel of John 13, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Obedience to God is a well-known command amongst God's people. But this new command John is referring to here is that obedience through love. Are we going to obey God in love to one another, that, like that loving sacrifice that Jesus came uh, to our world with? This is how you know you love God. Verse two to nine, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. I've got it on the screen as well. Let's keep reading. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness, walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. You see, when we walk in the light, it's revealed in the way we love. Our brothers and sisters, our family of believers. On the flip side, walking in the darkness looks more like hating a brother or sister. Now, you hear that word hate, and it's a very strong word, isn't it? No one will say, I hate someone. I mean, well, hopefully you won't. I mean, some people you might. But we do hold on to bitterness at times, don't we? We, we do hold, hold on to division and unresolved conflict. There is, a, there is resentment and grudges. No apologies or forgiveness granted. I'm sure we all feel that way at times in our lives, even right here in church, in the family of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, a community that's meant to be marked by love, but this stuff is so real sometimes, isn't it? I'm sure we've all experienced in the life of Providence or a, a previous church you've been part of. My friend Adam, uh, he says, closeness breeds conflict. And that really resonated with me when he said that. It's true. Even in our own biological families, we have conflict, don't we, at times? Because we're so close to each other and we see each other's flaws. Close friends who let each other in on each other's life. Conflicts happen at times when we have a misunderstanding. When I got married, it didn't take long living together to have our first experience of conflict. Probably in the first week, I can't remember, but conflict happens. There's not a married couple I know who hasn't had some sort of form of conflict because of closeness. So it's not uncommon to experience conflict in this family of believers as well. We're still getting to know each other at times. Personalities do clash. We rub each other the wrong way. We need to understand what it looks like to, to deal with conflict well, though. I'd be more worried if, if, if people here didn't admit that truth. I'd be more worried if you all just swept the problems under the rug and never addressed it. When conflict happens, we, will we move towards, towards each other in forgiveness and love or let hatred have a foothold in our lives? Will we speak truth in humility knowing you have, we all have responsibility? You know, will we hold on to that hatred? It's revealing of our hearts, I think. John goes back to saying this is what walking in darkness looks like. When we don't obey God in loving one another, we're blinded by it. Strive to love one another. Our command, one, this command is actually in our vision. I don't know if you know our vision, loving Jesus, loving each other, loving our world. We say it every week here. When we love one another, it's, it's an expression of our love for Jesus. It's evidence that we know the God of love, the God who is love, the God who is light. The third thing I want to say today, and finally, as we consider what it looks like to live in light of God who is light, will we love him or will we love the world? Verse 15 reads, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
here's something I want to be clear about. Our church, again, going back to our vision, loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. Someone once said to me, Mikey, aren't we called not to love the world? 1 John 2.15 tells us, don't love the world or anything in the world. And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. But let me clarify this publicly for the first time in nine years. When our vision says love our world, we mean it in the sense we love the people in our world. We care for the lost. And I know many of you know this already. For the permission, we want to evangelize our world and share the good news of Jesus out of love. Because we believe he's the answer. He's the truth. That's he's where life is found. We, and we care about and do social justice because we care about people made in God's image. We want to love our world in that way. Just like Jesus came into our world. Uh, John 3.16. This is my backup for our vision, by the way. John 3.16. I've got it on the screen. What does it say? The next slide. For God so loved the world, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world in the sense he wanted to bring salvation to them. And that's the sort of model of love we want to do in our world, to know the salvation in Jesus. Let's go back to 1 John. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. John is explicit here that what that means. He says, the things of the world, like lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's the worldly stuff that we're called not to love. The self-centered worldly godly, godlessness, the, the dispositions bent on self, not from the Father, but that arrives from our sinful hearts. See, the message is clear, isn't it? But like the previous obeying God's commands, isn't it so easy for this one to be either blurred a little bit or just justified in our lives? I know it's so easy for me. We, we, we struggle in this tension of loving God and loving our world, a foot in both worlds. Thinking about it, thinking, an example, think about how you pursue your career. Uh, this, this idea of sometimes, if, if, you're, if you're outside a non-Christian friend, outside of church, I mean, non-Christian friend, from the way you share your life, from the way you fill up your schedule, would they see you as someone who's shaped by the love for God or love for your career? Too often, we, I know in this stage of life, for many of us who are, who are in our 20s and 30s, we, we, we make our careers so central. Late nights, extra efforts, motivated by promotions, recognition and status. And then we wonder, why do I feel so distant from God? Why do I uh, feel so distant from God when our Bible study groups or Sunday church attendance hasn't been a priority above above my career or consider other examples perhaps it's the materialism and keeping up with the joneses for status and acceptance by our peers dating and who you pursue for love and or sex the way you consume alcohol the way you use your language whatever idol in your life that is greater than god to your friends it really looks like what does it really look like for them those love for worldly things would they be able to would they say oh it looks like you just love the same things i do that you're not too dissimilar to me. Dissimilar, you, yeah, not too dissimilar to me in my behavior, my speech, and my actions. Wouldn't that be sad to hear that from our friends? We all have our thing, but you and I need to keep asking ourselves, is, is how I'm using my time, my money, my pursuits and ambitions, are they helping me to love God or am I just justifying my sin? Is this leading me away from God? Do I need to call it what it is, a love for the world? I'll be honest, this is going to be a struggle for you, for me, in this lifetime. John is honest about it. We need to keep reading words like this to be reminded we will struggle with sin. We will need to assess our hearts, dissect our hearts. Who do we truly love? Are we pursuing that love in our lives? And even at times, if we stumble in the dark and stub our toes, we have an advocate in Jesus. He is the light of the world. He does forgive us. We can run to him.
He's given us His Spirit, our helper, to fight sin. And bit by bit, we can strive to love our God and not be lovers of the world. John doesn't want to water it down. The world stuff is all temporary, he says. It's all fading away. It will all perish one day. But when we love God and live according to His will, we're living in a way that has our eternal life in mind. I want to finish with a quote from the famous author C.S. Lewis. I think I have it on the screen as well. He says this. Coming, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I read this about God being light, and, and you think about the sun. The sun illuminates the darkness, brings the night to day. When we understand the God who is light, the darkness is uncovered. We go from being lost to being found, blind, and now we can see. The God who is light illuminates our hearts to see the world, darkness, our sin in its proper place. And having this gospel-centered approach to all life, so it's not just, it's not just talk the talk, but we want to walk the walk as well. Truly knowing God looks like a life walking with Him, striving for obedience to His commands, striving to love Him and not the world. I, I felt really challenged as I prepared this this week. Do you feel that challenge too? To ask these honest questions about our lives, are we living in the light? Are we a Christian merely by title or are you a Christian in the process of being transformed? Do you stand out in your convictions and in your integrity amongst your friends and family who don't know Jesus? Will we, or will we be recognized as people who do love God, who are striving to live, shining His light to a world in darkness? Honest questions, questions we need to ask ourselves. Let's pray for that now. Father, help us walk in the light of you as, a light, as the light in our lives. May Jesus, who gives us life, be our guide. May the Spirit shine through us so we will no longer choose to walk in darkness, but live by the light in obedience and repentance, in resisting to love the world over and above you. May our hearts be so captured by your light, Lord, that people will see our lives and know we are children of light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.